I mean, we just completed the book of Acts. So, I mean, where should we go? <laughs> Let's just pray and ask. Lord, lead us and guide us and grant us, Lord, as we begin a fresh new study in your word. Grant us, Lord, that spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. It is a book that's been the force behind some of the most significant conversions in church history. Which one is it? Well, let me give you a hint. 386 A.D., there was a man, and he was... Well, he was going through a terrible time in life. He was in his friend's backyard, and he was weeping. And he knew why he was having such a terrible time. He knew it was his sin and his rebellion against God. And he heard some children playing nearby, and they were calling out, Take up and read. Take up and read. And he reaches over, and he grabs a scroll that was near him. True story. Now, that would have been a book for us. They had them in scrolls in those days. He opens the scroll, and he reads these words. Not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He read those words, and the Holy Spirit convicted his heart, and Augustine became a saint in his friend's backyard. St. Augustine. That's the first clue of where we're headed. Don't know yet? Let me give you another clue. 1513 A.D., there's a monk. And as he's lecturing on the book of Psalms, he comes across Psalm 31.1. His inner life was in turmoil. He felt empty even though, even though he was in the ministry. Psalm 31, 1, he reads, In thy righteousness deliver me. And it confused him because he could not understand God's righteousness doing anything but condemning him to hell as a righteous punishment for his sin. But as he thought on this passage, he later read a second passage. And this next passage says this, The righteousness of God is revealed by faith from first to last. As it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. And in reading that passage, this young monk, Martin Luther, accepted righteousness by faith in what Jesus Christ had done, and the Reformation was born in his heart. If you have it already, don't give it away yet. A couple more clues. 1738, a minister and missionary who felt like a failure. He went unwillingly to a small Bible study where someone was reading from Martin Luther's commentary on the book we're about to study. And as he listened to the discourse in this small group Bible study, this failed missionary said later, while this fellow was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine. And John Wesley received righteousness by faith. And he became the instrument that was the catalyst for the revival of the 18th century. One last one. From studying this book that we're about to study, 
He not only came to Christ, he then wrote a book about his experience. His experience as he considered himself now a pilgrim. And his progress now, having received righteousness by faith, his progress as a pilgrim toward the celestial city. His name, after studying this book, John Bunyan. And the book he penned has only been outsold by one other book, and that's the one I have in my hand, the Bible. John Bunyan and Pilgrim's Progress. Open your Bibles to this book that God has used to change lives over the centuries, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Before we begin the study, listen, we have to ask a question. Because we left Paul two weeks ago as we finished the book of Acts, he's in Rome. Before he had gotten there, he wrote this letter. This letter we're about to embark on our study, a letter to the Roman church. But who started the Roman church? Paul didn't start it. Who did start it? Nobody knows. But there's some clues. Acts chapter 2, verse 10, on the day of Pentecost. It said the Jews has come, had come from all over the world for the Feast of Pentecost. You know what happened that day. Holy Spirit comes down in power. Peter gets up, gives the gospel. 3,000 people get saved. And Acts chapter 2, verse 10 tells us among those who were there, there were Jews from Rome. And no doubt, some of them got saved that day. Paul's ministry among the Gentiles, no doubt Gentiles getting saved. So we had some Jews getting saved from Rome on Pentecost, and then we have other Gentiles getting saved. And in that day, we have the phrase in our day, but in that day it was literal, all roads lead to Rome. And they did. And a lot of people not only lived in Rome, but traveled to Rome for business, commerce, those kind of things. And so a church just spontaneously was born by people getting saved from Rome at Pentecost and from Paul's missionary journeys and then from the churches that were birthed as they began to do evangelism. We have these Christians now congregating in Rome. And what a place to be a Christian. Rome was in its day what the United States is in ours. As a matter of fact, Rome was the bedrock of Western civilization. Rome, for a thousand years, it ruled, it reigned, it was the example, it was the influence for the world. They were the ones who were enlightened. They were the ones considered the wisest. They had the greatest military machines. They had the greatest military might. They had the greatest rulers. They had... The most wealth, Rome. For some 200 years as the Caesars ruled Rome, the majority of the Caesars, I do not know if you know, but history tells us the majority of the Caesars were homosexuals. Did you know that? Did you know that in Rome they legalized homosexuality? Did you know that the one ruling as Paul pens this letter was none other than Caesar Nero? And history tells us that Caesar Nero took a boy named Sporus and had him castrated. He then married him at full ceremony. Brought him to the palace with great procession, and this young boy became Nero's wife. Well, that relationship lasted a while, and then they broke up, and he married another man, and this time Nero was on the wife's side of the homosexual relationship. 
But you see, homosexuality in Rome, well, it was considered by some the highest form of love, to have that kind of love toward your own gender. Now, in case you're wondering, if you are a homosexual or you come from that background, if you're gay or come from that background and you think I'm about to bash homosexuals, those that are gay, please don't turn me off. You need to hear what God has to say. What I'm telling you that for, just a little tidbit, I want you to understand the flavor of Rome. I want you to understand the pagan environment of Rome. That's one of the reasons Paul wanted to go there so bad, because where it's darkest, the light shines the brightest. And so he pens this letter, the book of Romans. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. You want to mark that. Very important. The obedience that comes from faith. Saving faith and real biblical saving faith will always produce obedience. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. That shouldn't be surprising when you understand the paganism of Rome. If you became a Christian and you lived in Rome, not only is Rome going to find out real fast what's happened to you, but word is going to spread because, again, all, leads, read, lead, all roads lead to Rome and then all roads lead out of Rome. And so the word would spread that there are Christians living in Rome. There's a church in Rome. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And that's the way it ought to be. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. What he's saying there is, in this day, they classified people that if you were Roman, you were usually rich and considered wise. And others were considered barbarians. And so they divided people up into the wise and the foolish. And Paul says, my message is for all of them. That's why I'm eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. Then he makes this tremendous statement, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. That's not because the Jew is any more important or God loves them anymore. It's chronologically to the Jew first. God gives his, his revelation of himself through the nation Israel, through Jewish people. God sent a Jewish Messiah. 
my Lord, is Jewish. So chronologically, Jew first and also to the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is the passage Martin Luther, as a young monk, pondered on. This is the passage that led him to the truth. That the only way you can be righteous is by faith. By faith in believing the gospel. What is the gospel? Simply the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, Old Testament saints are saved the same way you and I are saved. Abraham, it says in Genesis 15, as God said, through your seed, singular in the Hebrew, through a person coming through your loins, your line, your lineage, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We know scripturally that promise referred to a coming seed of the descendants of Abraham from the line of David, Jesus the Christ. We know that clearly. And so it says Abraham believed God in regard to the coming seed. And God credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham, Romans will tell us, became righteous before he was even circumcised, before he even did anything for God. He became righteous by faith. And that's the only way you'll make it to heaven. That's the only way you'll be made righteous. It's by what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Now, I know for a lot of us, this is the ABCs. Now, we got that one pretty much down, and I think probably we all understand that. But understand, now, after Genesis 15, when Abraham believed God, he saved. God credited him righteousness by faith. Then in chapter 16, an interesting thing happened. Years pass, and Abraham gets, humanly speaking, too old to have kids. Sarah's getting old, you know, and Sarah makes the suggestion. You know the story. Maybe God wants us to help him out. Let's go to Hagar. And now we have the Palestinian-Israeli conflict as a result of Abraham listening to his wife. You should listen to your wife a lot of times, but that time it was wrong. <laughs> and now we have Ishmael and the conflict, and it never was God's will. So Genesis 15, he saved, righteous by faith. Genesis 16, they make a stupid move. They make a stupid decision. It's a decision not based on faith. It's a decision based on human reasoning and the flesh. And then interesting, Genesis 17, God says, now here's the sign of the faith, of the promise of the seed. Circumcision. Circumcision. It's taking a most tender part of your being and allowing it to be cut away. That's what circumcision means, a cutting away, a rolling away of flesh from a most tender, personal part of your life. And so you have Genesis 15, saved by faith. Genesis 16, decision not based on faith, but based on flesh. And then God says, now you need a sign of the covenant of faith. And that sign is that your flesh needs to be cut away. Personally. Very tender part of your life. And there's a picture there. It's very clear. And what some people miss, they get the part about believing in Jesus Christ. 
Oh, yeah, I know faith in Jesus Christ. I know I can't be righteous in myself. I know the only way I'll get to heaven is by believing in Jesus Christ, putting my faith in him. And some people have taken that step where they've received Jesus Christ by believing the gospel, the good news that Paul says he's not ashamed of. But what they miss now, look in the middle of verse 17, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. From first to last. First is when you believe the gospel and you were made righteous by faith, you were saved. When is the last? It's when you croak. It's when faith becomes sight. It's when you no longer are living in this present body and you're with the Lord. It's by faith. The Christian life is a life that begins by faith, and then it's to be a life of daily, monthly, yearly, until this life is over, lived by faith. And because people miss that, so many end up not being able to enjoy all that God has for them. Because salvation by faith is only the beginning and then working out your salvation for the rest of your life by learning to live by faith. And God wants to hone you and shape you. And he wants to give you life. He's not here to trick us. He's here to give us life. He said it. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. But you can start out believing the gospel. And then you don't learn to live now by faith. And what can happen and what will happen? If I don't continue in faith, I'll go back, I'll spiral down to the old life. The very thing that God purposed to save me from is what I'll end up living because I'm not learning to live now by faith. I just want to know you're with me on this point before I move on. If you're not with me, I'll spend some more time here and we'll finish it next week. Are you with me? You come to salvation by faith. You're made righteous by faith. But now, in order to maintain and live a righteous life and be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, you have to continue to hear the word and do the word. You continue to live by faith. And so many people have missed that. Are you with me? Fake me out if you're not, if you want me to move on. You're with me? Thank you. The way to life is by faith. And the way to live in the joy and the peace and the overflow of what God has for us is to live by faith. So that's the revelation of righteousness by faith. And now we turn it over. Look at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. Now stop there a minute. The wrath of God is being revealed. We have the righteousness of God revealed. Now we have the wrath of God being revealed. Now, most people, when you mention the wrath of God, they think of, you know, fire and brimstone and the tribulation period, and certainly that is coming, and that's a part of the wrath of God. But you know... There's a part of the wrath of God that maybe we don't understand, and I hope you'll listen up because there's a part of the wrath of God that's being worked out in the world. And it's what it's talking about here. It's being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men 
who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. How's the wrath of God being worked out? When men, because what's plain to them in regard to having faith in God, when they suppress that truth, they suppress it, and then what they move toward is called depravity. Depravity. You moved toward a depraved state when you suppress the truth that you know. And the first truth that is obvious universally doesn't matter where you live and who you are. You could be in the remotest jungle, on the remotest island. You could have never even heard about Jesus Christ, but you have enough witness because God says right here, the heavens. Abraham Lincoln. I like what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist, but I cannot conceive how he could look up into the heavens and say there is no God. Everybody has a witness in creation. You look at the stars, the moon, the sun, you look at the heavenlies, and that is witness that there's a creator. There's a God. He's real. But now if you accept that revelation, that's the first step. If you accept it, you realize, I'm creature, he's creator. I wonder what he wants me to do. And if you don't want to even think about what he wants you to do, you don't want to submit to him, then here's what you do. You suppress the truth that you know. You suppress it. Well, how do I do that? Well, you don't think about it. Well, how do I not think about it? Well, you turn on a radio station or put in a CD that doesn't get you thinking about God. Certainly, the last place you want to be is here this morning. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to be here, and, and there's some kids maybe. You, you, you're here, but you're here because your parents made you come, but if they didn't make you come, you don't want to be here because you don't want to hear about God because your life is not submitted to God. You don't want to hear it again. And if you're here, you know, you're going to turn me off and tune me out. You know, boy, you're suppressing the truth that you know God is real. You believe in God, but your life is not submitted to God. And the only way you're going to be able to live what you want to do and, and do what you want to do and go where you want to go is by suppressing the truth that you know. That's the first step. Listen, that is the first step of a life of depravity. It's the opposite of the life of faith. It's going away from God. And the first step, take the truth that God is real and say, okay, I don't believe that or I don't want to think about it. And you suppress that truth. But what's the next step, Pastor? Well, it's right here, verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now the light that you had, now you're getting some darkness in your heart. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Now some of us are thinking, wait a minute. I ain't like those guys who live over in India. I don't worship cows and monkeys and all those kind of animals. We, I'm more educated. I'm an American. No, here's what we do in America. You see, we don't worship the reptiles and all that stuff that they do in India. No, we worship, we worship stars. Oh, not the stars of the heavenlies. We worship those people that are famous. We worship Hollywood. We worship the Colosseum. Some of you will bow down this afternoon. 
especially if the Bucks win. Hallelujah! You will be so excited. You never do that in church, but you'll do it this afternoon. Some guys are going to be shouting. Some women are going to be shouting this afternoon. Some ladies are going to be dancing around there, you know, and getting everybody excited. Why? Because they're worshiping football. <laughs> Here, listen, listen, listen. God has created every single human being to worship. And if we choose not to worship God, we will worship something, even if we have to manufacture it ourselves. Psalmist talks about fashioning an idol. You, fa you made it, and then you bow down to it. You form these nice cars, and you look at them and say, there's the one I want. And you bow down to it. Man is made to worship, and you'll worship something. They'll worship wealth. You look at all the money, and you go, oh, man, if I just had that, I'll be happy. There's where life is, more money. And what happens is you exchange the glory of the immortal God, and instead of worshiping a God who is eternal and beginning to move toward life by faith, life that is the only real life, you take a downward spiral. You suppress the initial truth that you believe God is real, but your life is not submitted to God. And then you exchange the glory of God for the worship of the creation and created things. Well, does it end there, Pastor? Well, no, it continues to go on. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They believed that this is where life was to be found. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. The next downward step toward depravity. And you can always recognize a depraved society because one of the characteristics of a depraved society, a depraved people, sexual immorality will abound. Because it's a step down. Listen. The evolutionists suggest that man's getting better. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We're getting worse. And the more you move away from belief in God and faith in God, the worse you will become. You'll take a downward step every time, moving further away from God. And one of the marks of taking that downward step is the holy state of marriage will not be considered a holy state anymore. And now sexual immorality will abound. Because people now, not living in submission to God, they're living for pleasure. And isn't it interesting? Because sexual sin, listen, sexual sin. God created sex. The devil didn't create sex. God created it. And he created it for man's pleasure and for the union in the marriage relationship. You say, well, why can't I have sex outside of marriage? Because of what marriage typifies. Because the human earthly relationship between husband and wife typifies an eternal relationship between an eternal bridegroom and an eternal bride. And that's why marriage is to be holy and just between husband and wife. And listen, you can go down to the justice of the peace and you can get married and be legally married, but that doesn't mean the blessing of God is on your marriage. We're living in a day, I'm amazed. Sexual immorality, because it's, that's, that's the way we're taking. We're taking away, away from God, away from the life of faith, and sexual immorality abounds, even in the church. It's the natural step downward. I suppress the truth that I know. 
My heart becomes darkened, my thinking becomes futile, and sexual immorality. Living for pleasure. A pleasure that God intended for man in the holy state of matrimony. Because of what it typifies. Well, what's the next step? Verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Next step toward a depraved society and a depraved life is now you take the beautiful gift of sex and because you're taking that downward step, now it becomes twisted. It becomes perverted. And what God naturally made to work in the holy state of matrimony, now you have this perverted state of men with men and women with women. I had a lady come up to me after last night's service. She said, Pastor, did I understand you correctly? Because if I understood you correctly, are you saying this is not the place for me? Because she said, I'm gay. I said, no, no, you misunderstood. You misunderstood. We want you here. And then we talked for several minutes. I don't have the time to go into all that. But listen, you come to salvation by faith in Christ. God will change your heart and then he'll begin to change the rest. But you've got to first take a step of faith. Homosexuality will abound and will increase in a depraved society. But then the final step, verse 28. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind. That's an immoral mind. To do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Terrible problem in a depraved society with children in the home. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Some of the words in the Greek give you a better meaning because one of the words here in this list is pornea, pornea, pornography. Pornography would be terrible in a depraved society. Uh, extortion, fraud, malice. And one of the words here means hard-hearted towards kindred. There'll be lots of family problems, not just divorce. That's one of the words, too, truce breakers. There'll be a lot of divorce. But also just problems in families. Families getting along with them. They can't get along. It's the description of a depraved society. Now, at this point, you're feeling a little heavy, and you're feeling like the message is a little heavy, and you think Paul's writing this because he wants to bring the hammer down on a depraved people. Whoa, whoa, you misunderstood. You see, you can divide it into two parts. I noted it. One is the revelation from God of righteousness that comes by faith. But the opposite is the wrath of God being revealed because of godlessness and unrighteousness. In other words, part of the wrath of God is divorce, family problems, sexual immorality, sexual perversion, gossip, murder, strife, all these things. That's the result of a people and a society moving away from God. You're going down further away from a life of 
faith, faith. If you were one of these Roman Christians and you got this letter, when someone stood up and read this letter and they began to read from verses 18 to the end of the chapter, oh, you'd have related to it so much. Oh, you might not have been a homosexual, but there's somewhere in here you'd go, yep, that was me. <laughs> yeah, that was me. And then there came a time, maybe on the day of Pentecost, maybe somewhere else, maybe your friend told you somewhere, somehow, you believed the gospel and God in an instant forgave you of all your paganism because that's what this is. It's paganism. That's what worldliness is. That's what living according to the flesh is. It's paganism. But they believed the gospel and they were made righteous by faith. Do you understand? Paul is not trying to bring a hammer down here. He's saying, look, I can't wait to get to Rome because I know what Rome's like. Rome's like verses 18 and following. And I got some good news. Jesus says, I did not come to the world to condemn the world. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You know where to find life? You think you're going to find life in sex? My goodness, what foolishness. But some people believe that's where they'll find life. Just living for it, man. Get all you can, you know. It won't work. You think more money? No. Listen, you can try worldly wealth. You can try worldly wisdom. You can try the wages of wickedness, and it will all lead you to depravity and disappointment because that's not where life is found. Life is found. By coming to God and believing the gospel, the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, giving your life to him, and he makes you righteous by faith. He forgives you of all your sin. And now as you continue to read the word, study the word, hear the word, God begins to shape you as you live by faith. I love what one commentator did. He took the last part of Romans 18, and he rewrote it. He rewrote it as if... You are one of those pagans, just like, listen, all of us come from pagan background. You say, no, I was born in a religious family. You're still born a pagan. <laughs> You're born in sin. And this is as if someone in this pagan environment came to faith in Jesus Christ and then began to live by faith. And here's what it would read like. Therefore God gave them over in their hearts to self-control and purity, that their bodies might be honored among them. For they kept and cherished the truth of God and worshiped and served the Creator who is blessed forever rather than the creature. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to pure and wholesome lives, lived with carefree ease, even in the most intimate relations, so that all received in their own persons the due reward of their fidelity. And just as they saw fit to acknowledge God in all things, God gave them over to a sound mind to do those things which are proper, being filled with all righteousness, goodness, generosity, kindness, full of selflessness, life, healing, openness, kindliness. They are gentle in speech, always building others up, lovers of God, respectful, humble, self-effacing, inventors of good, obedient to parents, understanding, trustworthy, loving, merciful. And as they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are possessors of life, they do the same. And they give hearty approval to those who do likewise. Do you know I read that? And it'll sound boastful to some of you, but I don't mean it that way. That's my life. You say, wait a minute, I know you, and not every one of those things is exactly what you're like. <laughs> yeah, and I know you too. <laughs> We're not talking about perfectionism. We're being made perfect. You come as you are. 
by faith. You made righteous by faith. And then God between now and heaven is molding and shaping us and bringing us into a place of life. Life eternal and life abundant. You want to know what, you want to know what real life's about? You want to find real life? You give your life to Jesus Christ and then you begin to learn to walk by faith. And then you'll find life. You say, well, I know you, Pastor. And I, you're, again, I, you're, not, you're not perfect. Well, I just said, of course I'm not. But if you knew my life before, if you knew the things I was trying to find life in before, if you knew what my life was like, and then the day I gave my life to Jesus Christ, what a tremendous, tremendous experience to know that my sins were forgiven. And then from that day, 19 years old, until this day, 46 years old, living by faith, has been the most tremendous experience. And guess what? It's getting better. I fall in love with my wife more every single day. If you knew my wife, you'd understand that, but it's not just because of the godliness and the beauty of my wife. It's because I'm living by faith. For the first two years of my marriage, I didn't love my wife. I didn't love my wife. Don't come to my office and sit down and say, I don't love my wife anymore. You're talking to the wrong guy. Or if you look at it in another way, you're talking to the right guy. Because I can tell you, when you learn to live by faith and love your wife by faith, you find life. I found life in my marriage. And it's getting better all the time. I found life in my home. I found life in ministry. Life, because life, real life, is living by faith. Some of you today, God's speaking to, and you know it. You need to take the first step of faith. That first step that Martin Luther took. You may be religious here this morning, but the question is, have you a relationship with the living God by faith in Jesus Christ? Doesn't matter how religious you are or how rebellious you've been. Like someone said, there's level ground at the cross. We all come the same way. And God's speaking to you. You can begin a life of faith, a life that is the only real life. Would you bow your heads? If that's you, would you simply pray this prayer from your heart? Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Forgive me, Lord. Come into my life. Save me. And now, Lord, teach me how to live by faith for the rest of this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, keep your heads bowed because, listen, now you've prayed that prayer, but there are some here that have prayed that prayer before, and you know you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're at least assured of your salvation, but truth is you're not walking by faith. You've taken some steps away from God and away from living by faith. And you need to confess. Why don't you confess? Dear Lord Jesus, restore me with the relationship that I had with you that day that I gave you my life. Forgive me, Lord. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And now, Lord, lead me and guide me. I submit my life to you. I want to live once again by faith.
Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask all of our elders and all of our prayer counselors to go ahead and get up at this time, be available right here at the front on my right and on my left. You prayed that prayer to receive Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you. I always say, if you can't confess him here, you won't confess him out there. I want to give you an opportunity, if you prayed that prayer, to stand to your feet, walk down here, introduce yourself to a prayer counselor, and say, I prayed that prayer. Why do I want you to do that? Why should you do that? Because it's your first now public confession of Jesus Christ. That's first and foremost. Because we have a new believer's Bible that if you need a Bible, we'd like to give you a Bible. Because I want to send you a letter and tell you four things that are vital for you growing in your faith in Jesus Christ. For you not growing up in the Lord. But first and foremost, just by standing and coming, you're making a public confession. And if you can't confess Him in here, you won't confess Him out there. Did you pray that prayer? Just get up. Just get up and come. Introduce yourself to a prayer council right here. It takes some boldness, yeah, to do it. That's okay, though. God bless you. Come on. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come on. Come on down, guys. Come on down. Prayer counselors, just go out and meet them. Some of you ladies, go out and meet them. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Come on down. Just come. Introduce yourself to some of these prayer counselors. Praise the Lord. Woo-hoo! Best two decisions you'll ever make in your whole life. Right there. Now I'm going to do what I don't normally do, and then we're going to dismiss. Now you're a Christian, but you prayed that prayer and you confess. I haven't been walking by faith, haven't been living by faith. Listen, all of us as Christians know what that is, okay? So nobody's going to look down on you here. But maybe some of you, you need to make a public stand now. You've made a decision. You say, yeah, I haven't really been living by faith. I'm saved, but I made a fresh commitment today that I want to live by faith. Would you just simply stand? You don't have to come down here. Just simply stand at your feet and acknowledge that and say, yeah, I made a fresh commitment. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Live by faith. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. And now you can stand again. Everybody stand. Come on. What a great weekend it's been, huh? Praise the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.